morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Thursday, May the 5th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Burundi says that 30 of its African Union peacekeepers were killed in an attack on their base in Somalia. The embassy said it was in solidarity with the AU and Somalia forces in their quest for stability in Somalia. That is Ahmed Mohamed reporting from the Somali capital Mogadishu. The Global Network, an alliance of humanitarian and developmental agencies, warns the number of people facing acute hunger around the world is growing at an alarming rate. By stark contrast, inadequate nutrition is a leading cause of child mortality. In fact, nearly half of all deaths of children under five are attributable to undernutrition. That is UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell. And the Kenyan government places Masabit County, an area bordering Ethiopia, under a 30-day curfew as it cracks down on illegal firearms and ammunition. We have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, the African Union and the United States government have condemned an attack by Al-Shabaab militants on an African Union base in Somalia that militants say killed 173 troops. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Somali capital, Mogadishu. In separate statements, the U.S. embassy in Mogadishu and the African Union condemned the attack on the soldiers serving under the African Union transition mission in Somalia, known as ATMIS. The embassy said... It was in solidarity with the AU and Somalia forces in their quest for stability in Somalia. Earlier, AU Commission Chairman Moussa Mohamed offered his condolences to the families of the fallen soldiers and reaffirmed that AU's commitment to achieving peace and instability in the Horn of Africa country. The militant group Al-Shabaab claimed through its media affiliate that more than 170 soldiers were killed in the Tuesday morning attack, which targeted an atmis base in El Baraf village in Somalia's middle Shabelle region. About 250 soldiers from Burundi were on the base at the time. The Burundian government says 10 of its AU soldiers were killed, with 25 others were wounded, and that 20 terrorists were neutralized. Atmis headquarters has not issued an official casualty figures. However, in an interview with French news agency, a high-ranking Burundian military officer said 30 soldiers were killed in the attack and 22 others wounded. Al-Shabaab has carried out a wave of deadly attacks during Somalia's nine-month-long electoral period. Somalia's parliament met on Wednesday and selected a 17-member committee to organize the presidential election. The president will be chosen by the parliament on a date set by the committee. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Burundi's military says that 30 of its African Union peacekeepers were killed in the attack on their base near the village of El Baraf in central Somalia. Somali state television quoted army spokesperson Floribert Biyireke saying that 20 Al-Shabaab attackers were also killed. A Burundian official told VOS Somali service that 10 soldiers died on the spot while the rest succumbed to their wounds. He confirmed that other soldiers are still missing. 
The Burundian official told VOA that the soldiers had intelligence that Al-Shabaab was gathering in a village in the area about 48 hours prior to the attack. He said the soldiers then prepared to defend themselves and dug trenches. He also said that 450 militants attacked the camp. The Global Network, an alliance of humanitarian and developmental agencies, warns that the number of people facing acute hunger around the world is growing at an alarming rate. The network, which includes the European Union, UN Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Food Programme, is calling for action to tackle the life-threatening crisis. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The Global Network says around 193 million people globally experienced extreme hunger last year, with more than half a million on the brink of famine in Ethiopia, southern Madagascar, South Sudan and Yemen. Authors of the report warn the crisis is set to worsen this year. They say the key drivers of food insecurity, conflict, climate change and the COVID-19 pandemic, are pushing increasing numbers of people into poverty. They say people are not able to afford the price of a meal. The executive director of the World Food Program, David Beasley, calls it a perfect storm. He says whatever progress has been made in feeding the destitute is being lost because of Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and now Ukraine. We look around the world, 276 million people marching towards starvation, and now we got the breadbasket of the world being turned into bread lines. Who would have ever thought that we would see this in our time, our lifetime, mass migration taking place out of Ukraine, and it's going to devastate the food security uh, situation around the world. He notes Ukraine and Russia together produce 30% of the world's wheat, 20% of the world's maize, and up to 80% of sunflower seed oil. He says those supplies are not moving out of Ukraine because Russia has blockaded Black Sea ports. If we don't get ahead of this thing, we will have not just famine in multiple countries around the world because, you know, we've got additional droughts and all types of issues, but you will have destabilization of some nations and you'll have mass migration by necessity. And no one wants that. UNICEF Executive Director Catherine Russell warns the global food crisis threatens the very survival of children. She calls good nutrition the bedrock of child survival and development. By stark contrast, inadequate nutrition is a leading cause of child mortality. In fact, nearly half of all deaths of children under five are attributable to undernutrition. We now estimate by the end of 2021, 50 million children were suffering from wasting, the most life-threatening form of malnutrition. We expect this number is now higher. The Global Network is calling for coordinated collective action to address the food and nutrition crisis. It says emergency funding is needed now to pull starving people back from the brink and longer-term action to create more sustainable agri-food systems. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. A judicial official has told Reuters that Tunisia's Coast Guard has retrieved 24 more bodies of migrants who had been among about 120 people on boats that sank off the Tunisian coast at the end of April. The confirmed death toll has now reached 67 from last month's sinking of four boats as they tried to cross the Mediterranean to Italy. More than 50 people are still missing. 
The UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres met with Nigerian leaders Wednesday at the end of a two-day visit to Nigeria and three-nation trip to Africa. On Tuesday, he visited internally displaced people in northeast Nigeria and called for them to be safely returned to their homes. Nigerian authorities plan to close all IDP camps in the next few years despite security concerns, as Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja in Nigeria. Antonio Guterres arrived for United Nations House in Abuja around 9 a.m. Wednesday and met with UN local coordinators before holding talks with Nigerian women's representatives. The delegates, led by Nigeria's Minister for Women's Affairs, Pauline Kedem Talin, discussed gender equality and the inclusion of women in politics with the UN Secretary General. Talin spoke to reporters. His coming to Nigeria today has given us hope because we know that he will lend his voice to all the issues affecting women, gender-based violence, early marriage, uh, lack of implementation of some of our laws. Guterres afterwards met with Nigeria's religious leaders and later attended a wreath-laying ceremony at the UN House to remember the 23 people killed during the 2011 bombing of the building. He began his three-nation Africa visit Sunday in Senegal as part of his Ramadan Solidarity Tour and later went to Niger. On Tuesday, he visited northeastern Borno State and met with the state governor as well as IDPs and families impacted by the Boko Haram conflict. Guterres also visited repentant Boko Haram fighters and praised authorities' reintegration program for more than 1,000 former fighters. He also commended authorities' efforts to resettle displaced people back to their communities and called for more support to rebuild the region. The Borno I found today is a Borno of hope, is a Borno with future. And I was very impressed to see the policy that is being applied here, recognizing that you don't fight terrorism just by military means. You fight terrorism addressing the root causes of terrorism. The people I met today in the IDP camp want to go back home in safety and dignity. The way to address terrorism effectively is to provide not only hope, but a future of reality. Nigerian authorities have been closing IDP camps since late last year and want to close all camps by 2026. More than 2 million people have been displaced from their homes since the start of the Boko Haram insurgency in 2009. But aid groups have been warning some communities may still be attacked. Adenike Oladoshu, a climate justice activist, met with the UN Secretary General. There are multiple solutions when it comes to resettlement. Climate change is leading to the rise of harm conflicts, affecting people in the region and around, and the need for us to see that we have more climate action and not always military action. The UN Secretary General ended his visit at the Abuja presidential village, where he met with President Muhammad Buhari and his top cabinet members. Timothy Obizu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. 32 water facilities have been destroyed in Burkina Faso this year. This has meant nearly 300,000 people having less access to water. A spokesperson for the Norwegian Refugee Council in Burkina Faso, Marine Olivesi, 
tells reporter Ricky Shryok that targeted attacks on water points and water trucks also include purposeful contamination of water. These attacks have ranged from direct destruction of water trucks, of water points, contamination of um, water resources, or acts of sabotage uh, against the electricity network, the generators of uh, the national state um, water agents. It is estimated that up to 300,000 people have been directly impacted by those uh, attacks, uh, meaning that 300,000 people have access to fewer water as a result of uh, these attacks that have uh, increased the water shortages that is currently currently quite high in some regions. Can you tell me a little bit more then about the context of, you know, a place like Jibo? What are, are the water resources already strained? Yes, so Jibo is a city that already receives the highest number of internally displaced uh, people in Burkina Faso. And that's creating a massive train on local infrastructures. To give you a specific number, um, a specific figure, um, people in Jibo before the attack had roughly six liters a day per person available of water. That already number of six liters is below what's considered the survival threshold, if you if you might, um, uh, by the, the what, what the health World Health Organization considers the minimum or the survival threshold, which is at seven liter. Now, because of the impact of these attacks and destruction of water facilities, that uh, the, that amount of water has dropped to under three liter a day per person. So that means that we're now way, way below what's considered the survival threshold, which is of course very concerning for, for, um, for, for, the, for this population. Is this taking a particular toll on women and girls as they are usually the ones who are tasked with um, going to the water points to fetch water? Of course, because as you said, it's, it's usually women who are um, who, who in the end have to uh, spend uh, hours going to water points and to, and to fetch water. And it has meant mostly two things. First of all, they're spending even longer um, queuing up or walking longer distances. Uh, to get water um, because, again, some of the water points have been destroyed. Um, so in terms of the time spent, we are, our team has met uh, some women in Jibo who have been telling them that they're spending literally their entire day just to find a source where they can fill up uh, one gallon, one jerry can of 20 liters. But also in terms of protection risk, it also uh, has an impact because the, the distance spent um, walking further uh, to, to find a water point or the time spent waiting also expose them to further danger. First of all, because there have been incidents of um, women being threatened or assaulted while they were waiting at water points. That was Norwegian Refugee Council's spokesperson in Burkina Faso, Marine Olivesi, speaking to VOA's Rikish Ryok. The Kenyan government has placed Masabit County, an area bordering neighboring Ethiopia, under a 30-day curfew to allow for a crackdown on illegal firearms and ammunition in the region. The Interior Ministry says the move follows frequent attacks by bandits in the region that have left many dead and others missing. Moreno Jambo reports. 
General service unit officers have been deployed to Marsabit and Isiolo counties to carry out an operation that Kenya's interior ministry says will last until normalcy returns. Speaking in Nairobi on Monday, Kenya's Interior Cabinet Secretary Fred Matiangi said that the bandits must surrender the illegal firearms to the law enforcement agencies. We have placed the whole of Masabet County under curfew. For 30 days, there will be a curfew in place in Masabet between 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. We have in the last one week built up and we continue to build unprecedented security resources in Masabet because we must bring that county under peace and we must ensure that all illegal firearms and illegal arms are surrendered to law enforcement agencies. We will stay on this operation until sanity prevails and until we stop the senseless loss of lives in that county. Intelligence reports from Kenya indicates that there could be illegal activities carried out by the suspected Romo Liberation Front groups from neighboring Ethiopia in a town called Sololo, a few miles from the border between Kenya and Ethiopia. Matiangi has declared comb sublocation in neighboring Isilo County as a disturbed area that will as well have officers to carry out similar security operations. What happens here is that there are some illegal mining activities that are going on, and these illegal mining activities seem to be funding and supporting some of the conflicts in Masabit, and some of it, unfortunately, and I must say candidly here, within some resources are being channeled to terrorist cells. You may recall that uh, just recently, our security forces intercepted a huge cache of explosives in Meriti. Those explosives were meant for Nairobi. They were being moved by a terrorist cell, and that route has become worrisome to all of us. The Kenyan government will also monitor any movement to and from the area within that period and the people must be cleared by security officials. Groups seeking to enter the marked areas to conduct trade will be considered to be armed and dangerous. Security experts say banditry is becoming a major internal security concern across Africa. Political leaders have been asked to cooperate with security agencies to help solve insecurity in the region. Six people, including the area chief and assistant chief, were killed last week in the latest attack in the area as they were pursuing stolen cattle when they were ambushed by the attackers. Thirteen people are still missing. The counties of Baringo, Trukana, Laikipia, Elgeo Marakwet, West Pokot, Samburu, Isiolo and Marsabit are troubled with insecurity following frequent attacks. The banditry incidents are rampant in other African countries such as Nigeria, Uganda, Madagascar, Cameroon and South Sudan, among others. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. And still in Kenya, authorities are training domestic workers who accept jobs in the Middle East about their rights after years of reported abuses there, including rapes, beatings and death. Kenyan authorities said there have been at least 23 such cases since November, most of them in Saudi Arabia. Victoria Amunga reports from Nairobi. It's been a year since Bernard Njenga learned his wife Esther Tuku had died in Saudi Arabia where she had been a domestic worker for three years. Saudi authorities reported his wife had committed suicide at her employer's home. Njenga says he believes the mother of four 
was murdered. He says his wife's body did not have any mark that would show she had hanged herself because there would be marks around the neck. It appeared the body had been buried because it was very dirty and looked like she had been stabbed on the left side. That wouldn't have been hanging at all, Njenga said. Kenyan authorities say that since November, at least 23 domestic workers have died while working in the Middle East. Most of those deaths occurred in Saudi Arabia, according to labor officials. Saudi authorities have reported that all 23 of those deaths resulted from cardiac arrest. In April 2020, rights advocacy groups Amnesty International reported that Kenyans who have jobs as domestic workers in the Middle East often complain of lack of payment, forced labor, physical abuse, rape and dangerous working conditions. Now, Kenya is offering safety training for domestic workers who take jobs abroad. Edith Murogo is the director at East Africa Institute of Home Care Management in Nairobi. When you don't train them, then basically you are exposing them to exploitation and abuse. Part of the training also includes uh, labor rights awareness. Uh, they have to know how to bargain and to um, uh, talk to employers about decent terms and conditions of employment. These are among 30,000 Kenyans who migrate to the Middle East to find work each year. Kenya's Cabinet Secretary for Labor, Simon Chelugui, says they are working with Saudi officials on labor law reforms. We would want, in case, uh, we would want them to also upscale their laws to protect workers and employers equally, not to discriminate and, and have the attitude of employees' right always. Number two is um, that uh, the pay is reasonable, Commensurate to the work. VOA reached out to the Saudi embassy in Nairobi for comment on alleged mistreatment and deaths of Kenyan workers. In an email response, the embassy said the kingdom does not condone illegal and ill treatment of anyone and said Riyadh is working with Nairobi to protect citizens from any offense. Meanwhile, officials say with an estimated 2 million young people graduating each year, according to national figures, and only about 800,000 new jobs, many Kenyans will continue to go abroad to find work. Victoria Amunga for VOA News, Nairobi. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani. South African health officials are arguing COVID-19 vaccine manufacturer Aspen to keep its plant in the Eastern Cape province open. This follows a Reuters article quoting Aspen's senior director saying that they may have to cut down as there have been no orders for their rebranded COVID-19 vaccine. Vicky Stark reports from Cape Town in South Africa. The South African-owned subsidiary of pharmaceutical giant Aspen struck a deal with American company Johnson & Johnson in March to package, price, sell and distribute its vaccine in Africa. This vaccine was rebranded as Aspinovax. The move was hailed by many as there had been much concern about Africa's reliance on imported vaccines, which were often costly and at times in short supply. But there have been no orders for Aspinovax. South Africa's National Health Department spokesperson Foster Mohale says the lack of orders is due to low vaccination rates, not only at home, but globally. Vaccine hesitancy is one of the factors which is contributing to this uh, low vaccination rates or demand for uh, more vaccines, uh, which also affect the production. Because obviously we understand that they're in a business, they can't keep on producing 
uh, vaccines, which we, while they know that the, the demand for vaccines is very low. So we understand the, the situation where they are and we sympathize with them. Mohale says for now, South Africa has enough vaccines. He adds that in March, 100,000 vaccines expired and more are due to expire in June and July. However, he says that Aspen's vaccine plant is important because no one knows what the future holds. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel. Parallels and contrasts between Russia's intervention in Syria in 2015 and its invasion of Ukraine. Many Syrians who experienced the brutal tactics of the Russian military, which intervened to support Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, are expressing solidarity with Ukrainians, points of convergence and divergence between the two countries, and lessons learned or missed 